uh, I'm going to ask a few questions of us. And so they go a little like this. What, why do we exist? Why do we as a church, as a faith community, exist? How did we come to be? What are the core values of this faith community? What is its mission? Who is its mission? These are all good questions. My name is Trey. I'm one of the pastors here at ANC. Matter of fact, I'm one of the founding pastors of ANC. You know, I joked a few weeks ago when I taught that you got my annual sermon then. Well, unbeknownst to us at that point, Jason and Allison got the, uh, sure, sorry. Jason and Allison got the, uh, this is all high tech here, y'all. They got an invitation to be a part of a, a self-improvement, self-care, marriage care weekend. And so they took the opportunity and asked me to fill in. And so I was happy to do that again this week. So twice in one year is a pretty big year for me. But I was given no guardrails to teach this week. And so we're in between series. And so I just rifled through the Bible and I dropped my finger in and found something near and dear to my heart. And so that's what I uh, decided to, to share with you guys, especially those new to us, what this little church is about. So like I said, I'm one of the founding pastors. I was here since the inception. I was here when ANC was just an idea in a living room, a dream as a small group of people, simply listening to the voice of Jesus and, and asking the question, what, is, what does it look like to be Jesus in today's context? And if I were to take this gospel of Jesus seriously, what would it look like in today's world? And, and for us at the time, we had a pretty clear directive. And I'm going to let you in on that clear directive right now. It was revolutionary at the time, and it's this. Love God and love people. Okay, well, that's not that revolutionary, especially for a church. And it really shouldn't be. But then we broke it down a little bit. We thought if we knew what it meant to love God, that was a given. Or at least we thought it was going to be simple. But what if we were to be about the kingdom in all that we did? Not as a church, mind you, as individuals. Then corporately. But keep in mind we weren't even a church yet. We were just a small group of people in a living room. So personally, how would that affect our lives, our jobs, our families, where we lived, our finances, how would my love for God manifest itself in all these areas? How would it make a difference if I loved God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength? Could I change my community? What does it even look like to love people, all people? I mean all people. Undesirable people, marginalized people, expendable people. They would be part of all, right? Well, as it turns out, we felt God calling us to serve the poor. But who were the poor? Did we even know poor people? And why poor people? You know, it seems like if we loved rich people, they could come alongside us and help us fund ministry to love more rich people. Surely, there was more to it than that. See the conundrum? If we loved poor people, they, could they really help us, or would they? What's the point? Regardless, that's what we did. If, we, if you do a word search in Scripture, you'll find over 2,200 places throughout the text that reference poor people and marginalized people and expendable people. You'll hear talk of the, the poor, the widow, the orphan, 
serving the margins, but why? Sure, we can't solve world hunger, and we're not going to fix homelessness, and we're not going to adopt all the orphans. So what's the point? I think that's the best question. Well, first of all, when Jesus came out in his ministry, he began, to, to, he began his published ministry somewhere around the age of 30. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. He was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to pl- proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. That's found in Luke 4.18. So this was the very first thing Jesus said as he announced his public ministry. So this seemed right for a young group of believers. But where do we start? Many of you know the story, and we decided as a small group in the living room to pool our money. We decided to pool our money and to buy a grill. Um, Some might call this an offering. But keep in mind, we weren't a church yet. There was, no one to, there was no name to write on the check, uh, and, and you know, there were no tax benefits. This was just a group of people meeting in the living room, deciding to take action and do something. So we decided to grill hamburgers for, for the homeless population of Austin. Certainly they were poor, and certainly they could use a delicious hamburger, but was it the gospel? But wait, what, we're a church. We're, we're trying to be a church. We're this fledgling church. What about matching T-shirts? Do we need tracts to hand out? Do we screen the people to make sure that they're deserving of the hamburger? How would we make sure we were safe? Were our kids okay to be down there with us? What if, what if when we're grilling, they doubled back in line and, and got two hamburgers? Scandals were plentiful. So much went wrong that first time we were down there. Keep in mind, we, we've set up on the corner of 7th and Neches, across from the Arch, which is a homeless advocacy resource center. And we pulled our brand new grill off the, off the truck, and we set it up, and soon we were inundated with a line of over 100, 150 homeless people. And our 40 hamburgers just weren't going to cut it. We were going to disappoint way more people than we were going to serve. So we made the executive decision then to send one of, our, one of our men down to HEB to get another 100 or so hamburgers. And when he came back, we ran out of those as well. So we made one more trip. At the end of the time there, meeting our new friends and hearing their stories, we reflected. We gathered all together and, and, and we decided uh, to share what impressions we'd had from what we just experienced. And it was so clear that God showed up. It was messy. It was a little intimidating at first. But at the end of the day, we met some really nice people who, for one reason or another, found themselves homeless. They could be us. We could be them. Many of them wanted to give back in some manner to us, but, you know, poor people. They had nothing to give. I don't know about you, but once you encounter God in a special way, you want to do that again and again. And you want to share that experience. That little spot that we carved out on the corner of 7th and Neches Street became holy ground for, for us as a small community. We brought a lot of friends. We brought a lot of skeptics. We brought some atheists. We brought the de-churched, the unchurched, 
people who had given up on church in general and God to an extent. They came down to serve with us. And it was said on multiple occasions, I've, I've heard, I have heard this over and over and over again as we first started out, if church could look like this, I'd want to be a part of a church like that. And if people outside of faith are willing to hang out with a bunch of church people and have the, 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 the ability to be in close proximity to Jesus and see him at work, that's disciple making. If you think about it, that's exactly what the first disciples did. They just, they hung out with Jesus. Listen, we never, we never gave an altar call. We never had an invitation to receive Jesus on that lot. But Jesus met and saved and altered the lives of countless people in that grimy little parking lot across from the arch. And the secret sauce was Jesus showing up every single time. We met and cared for and walked with so many people from that lot. Story after story flooded my mind this week as I was thinking about this. I was thinking about our very first baptism that we ever had at Austin New Church was a formerly homeless lady named Tabitha. Our people loved her well. They walked with her. They walked with her as she, um, as she got back into housing. They walked with her as she got her kids back from CPS. It was tricky. It was messy. But they loved her well through it. I think about, I think about a guy named Johnny. Johnny was a, a strung-out bucket drummer on 6th Street. But Johnny loved him some Jesus. And he played with our band one Easter Sunday morning. I think about, uh, think about a guy named Shushine. Shushine was an older black gentleman who remembered all of our names. I only knew him as Shushine, but he knew my first and last name. He knew everybody's name. He had a beautiful smile, and he had a beautiful spirit. When, when Shushine uh, got back into housing, we helped him furnish his apartment and helped him get some clothes and a box fan. That's what he wanted. And then I think about... I think about a, a lady named Red. Um, and a la Red was definitely schizophrenic. And she was definitely most of the time on something. And she loved us like nobody's business. And sometimes she yelled at us. All these stories, there's so many. But even in the chaos, Jesus was there teaching us more about him and about ourselves. Opening our eyes sometime, sometimes, a lot of times for the first time to real need and to real hurt and to real pain and to real desperation. And friends, there's no way back from that. There's no way to unknow that. The thing that ties all these stories together is good news, the gospel. In one way or another, we were able to share good news with our homeless brothers and sisters. Maybe it was just a hamburger. Or maybe it was dignifying them with conversation and being seen. Good news also looked like a pair of reading glasses. It looked like shoes and boots. Good, night, good news oftentimes looked like a, a, a dress or a suit for a job interview. It looked like a one-way ticket to Hawaii, believe it or not, to visit, or not to visit, but to stay with the only family that would have this person. And it looks like a, a one-way bus ticket to St. Louis that's still on my desk, unclaimed. Who knows why? Maybe it's because 
sometimes when hope and good news is offered, it's not always received. Maybe they were ashamed to pick up the bus ticket. Maybe they were run, running some sort of scam and it didn't work out exactly like they planned. Maybe they found something in life they wanted more. I think of the rich young ruler who was so enamored with his stuff that the, the riches of heaven and of Jesus weren't enough. I think the thing that we learned in all this is that we're just to be faithful in what we do. Do it in faith and the right reasons and God will honor it. It won't always have the outcome that we expect and it always, it always uh, won't, won't be without a mess. But God will honor our faithfulness and we'll be blessed by the interaction. interaction. You know why God is calling us to the margins? I believe this. It's because he's there. He's among the broken and the brokenhearted and the downtrodden. He makes his home near and around those who are desperate. And he is alive and well in places that are dark and hopeless. And he wants us there too. Does it make any sense to be anywhere else? Where we're, sometimes we're isolated in our nice homes, in our fine cars, with our posh jobs, saving for a fancy vacation, and these aren't bad things. But sometimes we need reminders. Sometimes we need to take a step back and look and see desperation in somebody's eyes. Sometimes we need to experience the smell of hopelessness in places. Zoom ahead some 12 years later, and these, many of these stories have faded, or, or you've never even heard them. But there are too many stories of, of life change and healed marriages and rescued faiths and love of Jesus to tell in a sitting. But one thing I bring with us now is that when God shows up, I want us all to be there. I want you to be there. So this call to mission isn't so that we get some gold star for participation. No, it's not that. It's so much more. It's so that we get to meet Jesus again, maybe for the first time. So that we get to be in his presence and see his hand at work. Today we continue to strive to engage the margins as a small faith community. And this has taken some strange twists and turns. Some people have asked me, how did you guys arrive? How did you personally, they're usually asking me, how did you arrive at LGBTQ inclusion and affirmation and standing with women and people of color? And sometimes the answer's shocking, but it started grilling cheeseburgers for homeless guys and seeing real pain and real desperation. True story. Because need is need, and hurt is hurt, and marginalization is marginalization. And Jesus is there in the middle of it. And so are we, church. I think back to Jason's lesson a few weeks ago when he taught about the parable of the lost sheep and then Sam's reading of that. Do you remember that? When she talked about the 99 sheep that remained versus the one that wandered away and that 99% was a pretty good grade, a very good grade. Well, I never saw a 99 in college. But it's good enough for most. But my, my friend Stan Mitchell put it, in the mathematics of God's heart, I, God, will not be satisfied with 99% inclusion. 
I will not be satisfied with a 99% call of the roll. God wants it all. He wants us all. He looks at 99% and is not satisfied. He says, I can't sleep. Church, I can't sleep. I will not rest at 99%. And that is the heart of this ministry at ANC. We won't stop at 50% or 75% or 99%. So we find ourselves thrust in this new reality that is COVID. And we're scrambling every week to bring you your home, this, your, your experience of ANC at home. And I know it's different. I know it's not the same. I hope that you can come unglued and undignified in your worship in bed or with your coffee or whatever, but I just know it's not the same. It's not the same not having you in this room. But I hope that you still can. But for many of us, we're the lucky ones. We're the lucky ones. We're the ones who've embraced, been embraced by Jess or Don or Laura or prayed over or with by Larry or Papa in the back. So many of you have shared your gifts of teaching small children or youth or played with our band or been, at the, been the front door of ANC as a greeter. You are the lucky ones. Or in church speak, the hashtag blessed. But, the, but in our new reality, and hopefully this ends soon, hopefully it ends soon, but in our new reality, we're embracing the reach of the internet. Who knows when we'll be back in here? But for many out there, many of you out there, you don't have a loving, progressive, all-inclusive community where you, within 200 miles of where you live. You can't find one. So for many, ANC has become a home, and so we celebrate you this morning. You're the one, and we're the 99. So my prayer for the blessed who call ANC home and live right down the road from us is that we remain engaged, that we trust the Spirit of God as he leads your staff and board to embrace change. We never saw any of this past six months coming. There's no way that we could. And we should never hold too tightly to the way things have always been, or they'll change. And I think it's a trap. As the disciples of Jesus, we should, we should know better. Jesus was always on the move, and, and he himself said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And that tells me his disciples didn't have a place to lay their head either. But Jesus had his purpose and his calling, and we must have ours. Love, love keeps us pressing forward together and with God, following his spirit. So with all our hearts, we are who we've always been. A faith community made up of people who love God and love people. Reaching into the margin, margins and showing others how to do the same. Just now with a broader congregation. One of, one's not better than the other. We treasure our home folks, our Austin peeps, our homies. But we also value the rich expression of love and faith that's growing around this country. You aren't following A&C, you're following Jesus. And that's worth celebrating. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this church, for this little congregation cobbled together some 12 years ago, who stumbled toward creating a church and galvanized around the marginalized. 
Father, I pray that we're quick to answer your call to need that we see and recognize. Like we celebrated today uh, of the Help One Now Family Empowerment Program. Father, I just thank you for that. And I thank you for this group of people who continue to, to thrive to make Austin New Church the church we dream of and a church that's honoring to your heart. Father, we love you and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.